Programs Committee. I am Commissioner Mark Farrell. I'm going to be chairing today's meeting. We're joined by Commissioners London Breed, John Avalos, and Aaron Peskin. Uh, Steve Stemlos is our clerk. I want to take a moment to uh, thank those members of SSGTV covering today's meeting. Uh, Mr. Clerk, would you call the first item? All right. Item one, roll call. Commissioner Avalos? Here. Avalos present. Commissioner Breed? Here. Breed present. Commissioner Farrell? Present. Farrell present. Commissioner Peskin? Peskin present. Commissioner Tang? Tang absent. We have quorum. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Clerk, could you call the next item, please? Uh, thank you very much. Before we do that, we have a motion by uh, Commissioner Avalos to excuse Supervisor uh, Commissioner Tang, um, and she might be back in a little bit. She is at a, uh, at a conference outside of our, uh, our building right now, so a uh, second by Supervisor Breed. All right. We just take that without objection? Yes. Take that without objection, colleagues. Okay, could you read the consent calendar? Oh, um, next item is item two, Citizens Advisory Committee Report. This Sorry. is an information item. Good morning, Commissioners. Chris Waddling, uh, CAC Chair. Um, there are four items I want to just uh, briefly touch on today. Uh, item number six, the $6 million for Prop K. Um, CA, uh, CAC questions focused on uh, Great Highway, tree maintenance, and Second Street projects. Um, on the Great Highway project, many questions were deferred until this month's meeting, um, which will have a broader uh, explanation of what's going on with uh, the Great Highway project. Uh, Second Street, um, a lot of improvements are being made. Um, on, on the surface level, and one of the major concerns was what happens when uh, the cut and cover happens uh, for the uh, TJPA work. Um, the CAC was told that all, their, all the current work that's being planned in this proposal will be redone after, um, after the cut and cover work is done. Um, item number seven, transportation fund for clean air program. Uh, the CAC was told that projects may have a lower cost effectiveness ratio. That have a lower cost effectiveness ratio would still be eligible for funding if they were located in neighborhoods identified as being in areas where populations were most vulnerable to air pollution. Um, item number eight, the Peninsula Corridor Electrification Project. Uh, we were told that there would be a mix of vehicle types on the system after electrification, meaning many passengers would not have to transfer at Duradon, which was a concern of one of our members, um, and that vehicle Vehicles would be ADA compliant uh, given the uh, multiple levels of the, of the train height, door, drain door heights. Uh, this was a concern of um, some of our CAC members. Uh, finally, item number nine, the local transportation revenue measures and expenditures plan. Um, the short timeline of the, uh, of the now what I've been told is the, uh, the charter amendment uh, is a bit of a concern, um, as was uh, really the need for new funds. Uh, one, of the, one of our CAC members uh, objected to new funds being, being sought for uh, when we have Prop K in place. Um, I would like to add on this measure, on the Charter Amendment, that uh, if the, uh, the, the segments, the sections within it are a little more fleshed out as they are, that they were in the, in the um, non-Charter Amendment, the, uh, what it, I'm, you know what I'm trying to talk about. Anyway, there were, there were two uh, routes that we could take. Uh, the Charter Amendment, things are a little less fleshed out as far as uh, the categories are concerned. So if, if those categories could be a little bit more expanded upon, uh, that would be ad advisable. So that's all I had. Okay, thank you very much. Colleagues, any questions? Uh, just one question. The minutes noted that there was one member who had been absent long enough that 
that individual is automatically suspended? That's correct. Yep. So does that, do we need to replace that individual or is there a way that that individual becomes unsuspended or how does that work? I think that's on today's agenda. Uh, or next month's agenda maybe. That's correct. Brian Larkin um, is seeking reappointment, but he's unable to attend the meeting today. Um, and so uh, consideration of his reappointment will be considered next month. So is that a function of the suspension requires reappointment? Correct. Okay. Colleagues, any further questions? Thank you very much. We'll open this up to public comment. Anybody wish to comment on item number two? Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Um, okay, do we file this item? Do we continue this item? Oh, no, just uh, next item. Next item, okay, on to next item, Mr. Clerk. All right, items three to five comprise the consent calendar. These items are considered routine. Staff is not planning to present on these items, but are prepared to present if desired. If a member objects, any of the consent items may be removed and considered separately. Okay, colleagues, any questions or comments on any of the consent calendar items? Okay, seeing none, we'll open this up to public comment. Anybody wish to comment on items three, four, or five on the consent calendar? Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Take a roll call vote on that. Roll call vote. All right, on the consent calendar, Commissioner Avalos? Aye. Avalos, aye. Commissioner Breed? Aye. Breed, aye. Commissioner Farrell? Aye. Farrell, aye. Commissioner Peskin? Aye. Peskin, aye. The consent calendar is approved. Okay. Mr. Clerk, could you call the next item? Item 6, recommend allocation of $6,004,645 in Prop K funds with conditions and appropriation of $75,000 in Prop K funds for eight requests subject to the attached fiscal year cash flow distribution schedules. This is an action item. Okay. Thanks very much. Good morning, Supervisors, uh, rather Commissioners. Um, Anna Lafort, Deputy Director for Policy and Programming at the Transportation Authority. Uh, we have eight Prop K requests for over $6 million for consideration today, and these requests are leveraging over $23 million worth of non-Prop K funds. Um, as we are pulling up the PowerPoint presentation, I will continue the rail grinding request from the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency, MTA, um, is for rail um, state of good repair um, functioning. So the, um, this would be to reshape the rails to the optimal profile in the Muni Metro subway. And this is from Castro to Embarcadero stations. And this will allow for the rails to be in a state of good repair in advance of the light rail fleet arriving in 2017. It prevents derailments and it also reduces noise and improves rail quality. And this project will leverage federal funds. Next project is the Great Highway Reroute. This is a public works project, and this was referenced in Chris Waterling's opening remarks from the CAC. Um, this is a project to convert the two northbound lanes to single bi-directional lanes, and it would allow for the two current southbound lanes to create um, space or paving the way, rather, um, if you will, for the South Ocean Beach multi-use trail, which the committee will see next month. Um, that is a recreation and park department project that the Public Works Department will be sponsoring a Prop K request on behalf of. Um, but this project is for slope to skyline um, and to um, do the design phase of the project with construction open by spring of 2018. 
The next project is for street repair and cleaning equipment. This is one of three annual requests that you'll see today. Um, Public Works is requesting funding to replace street sweepers that have exceeded their useful lives and are also now out of compliance with state and regional air quality requirements. Um, Public Works is under a deadline to replace these uh, street sweepers by the end of the year, and so we are recommending a finance cost neutral strategic plan amendment to advance funds in this category with a corresponding delay in funding um, in the street resurfacing category without negatively impacting any projects and keeping the Prop K program whole. Just a question on that. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a plan to replace the whole fleet? How much of the fleet is this a part of that needs to be replaced? Um, I will ask Public Works representative to come up and speak to this. These, these requirements apply across the board. Let's actually get to that mm-hmm. after the presentation. Okay. okay, great, thanks. Okay, so the next request is for public sidewalk repair. This is an annual request for Prop K funds to replace um, damaged concrete around city-owned street trees. Um, DPW prioritizes locations with accidents and complaints and excessive damage, and all work will be done this calendar, or sorry, this fiscal year. Next request is for tree planting and maintenance. This is also an annual request. Um, Public Works will replace uh, empty uh, trees in empty basins for about 375 trees. Also will establish young trees and maintain uh, mature trees along public rights of way that are maintained by Public Works. Next request is for the District 11 Neighborhood Transportation Improvement Program Planning Project for the Geneva-San Jose Intersection Study. This is a Prop K request for the $100,000 in uh, NTIP funds as well as $50,000 in Balboa Station Area Placeholder Funds for prioritized projects um, coming out of the Balboa Park Station Community Advisory uh, committee, which this project does. It will develop short, medium, and long-term recommendations for the intersection and the vicinity of the intersection, including uh, passenger access to Muni's M Ocean View. We'll be coordinated with a host of other projects that are going on in the area, um, and as well as with other um, departments and stakeholders that will be participating in the various different um, design charrettes and outreach that's planned over the next year, with a final report by next summer. Next project is for the local match requirement to a federal one bay area grant for the second street improvement project. You've seen this project several times. This is for a complete streets um, improvement project from Townsend to Market. Um, and construction is slated to begin right around the turn of the calendar year with an 18 month duration. Um, and the last request is from the um, MTA and a joint request with um, the Transportation Authority for $150,000 in NTIP program support funding. And this allows us to work with stakeholders and the commissioner's office to develop the projects that eventually are presented to you for allocation. And I'm available to answer any questions as well as um, agency representatives. Okay, thank you, colleagues. Commissioner Avalos. Yes, thank you. Just a question on uh, the sweepers that we're replacing. There are five, and just what part of the fleet is looking to be replaced, and how much will this impact the overall effort on that? Uh, Hi, Rachel Alonso, Transportation Finance Analyst, Public Works. I don't have the total size of our fleet with me right now. We are seeking... uh, Prop K funds to replace five street sweepers, but there's another 20 at least that we also need to replace, which we will be diverting other funding sources to accommodate. 
Great. So then uh, the other 20 that are being replaced, once those are replaced, is that going to cover the entire fleet that needs replacing altogether? That should, at least of the street, street sweeping vehicles. And we're, we're trying to meet all the deadlines that we can to minimize any impact on our operations. And it's a, it is a, my understanding is it's a citywide concern that Central Shops has been coordinating with the Bay Area Air Quality Management District. Right. Thank you. And then the other one you might be able to answer, the other question I have is around trees and the sidewalks, okay. which we also have uh, two pending charter amendments that are about uh, addressing trees and sidewalks. Yes. Uh, and what is the uh, amount, is this generally uh, an amount of money that is DPW receives from the TA every year? Yes. Um, and so uh, we, we, this is maybe for Honorable Lafort, but we have limits about how much we can uh, give every year from Prop K for trees and sidewalks. Is that correct? Yeah, these two categories function in a truly annual manner so that they get one-thirtieth of their share over the 30-year life of the expenditure plan on an annual basis. Okay, and so what would that be in terms of what our allocation is? Um, it's, it's equal to the amount that's requested. So it's about five or 600000 I believe, for street, for done. sidewalk okay. repair, and about a million one <clears throat> for trees. Great, thanks. Okay, colleagues, any questions or comments left for staff? Okay, we'll open this up to public comment. Anybody wish to comment on item six? Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Sir Clerk. You can do same house, same call. Same house, same call. Colleagues, without objection. Can you call the next item? Item seven, recommend approval of the fiscal year 2016-17 Transportation Fund for Clean Air Program of Projects. This is an action item. Good morning, I'm Mike Pickford, Transportation Planner. Let's see if we can get the PowerPoint working here. Um, so TFCA is a program that seeks to improve, <coughs> seeks to improve air quality by reducing vehicle emissions. Uh, TFCA funds come from a $4 surcharge on vehicle registrations collected by the Air District, which then passes through 40% of those funds to be administered at the county level by agencies, including the Transportation Authority here in San Francisco. For fiscal year 16-17, we have $972,000 available for programming to projects. However, we received applications totaling about $1.5 million. Two applications were subsequently withdrawn for further project development, but we still don't have quite enough to fully fund the remaining four applications. Um, to develop recommendations for this competitive program, we evaluated uh, applications based on eligibility screening uh, criteria that are required by the Air District, as well as local expenditure criteria that are specific to San Francisco. A distinguishing feature of TFCA is a requirement that projects must meet a cost-effectiveness threshold set by the Air District, which varies by project type. Our local expenditure criteria, which the board approved in February, help us prioritize applications. And uh, we look at factors including project type, emissions reduced, the readiness of the project, uh, given the Air District's emphasis on having these projects uh, keep to their lifespan of two years. Um, so uh, here are the um, priority project types that are included in our local expenditure criteria. This year we had three zero emissions non-vehicle project applications, as well as one alternative fuel vehicle application. Um, so our funding recommendation is based on the criteria and also informed by working directly with project sponsors. And we're recommending fully funding three projects and partially funding a fourth project. Uh, to go into a little bit of detail on the projects themselves, 
the Gator Pass implementation project would help San Francisco State implement a new transit pass for students. The students voted to approve a fee to cover a Muni class pass as well as a 25% discount on BART. The project would cover the startup costs, including providing students with a clipper card that's tailored to the project. Uh, that will uh, be specific for San Francisco State students uh, going to and from Daly City Station, um, as well as uh, covering some of the technology needed to implement uh, the project. Additional funds would come from MTC uh, for uh, reprogramming the clipper card system, and that could also be used to replicate this project in other locations. Our recommendation is contingent on the project receiving approvals from other partners. Uh, next, Emergency Ride Home has a long track record of providing reassurance to commuters who use non-car transportation options in cases where there's a personal or family emergency that necessitates a change of plans uh, versus their normal commute. This year, the program would continue to pivot from being solely employer-based to targeting uh, participation by more individual commuters. Uh, next, the Alternative Fuel Taxicab Incentive Program would provide a rebate for taxicab companies that purchase new alternative fuel vehicles. Uh, SFMTA expects to fund about 77 vehicles, most of them being hybrids, but they're also anticipating about three electric vehicles, which are still unusual in taxi fleets, as well as three accessible natural gas vehicles. Uh, and finally, the short-term bicycle parking uh, project would install 672 racks at locations where requests for additional bike parking have been made. Uh, the proposed amount is about 71% of SFMTA's request, uh, but we don't have the resources to fully fund all the requests. And this project was the least cost-effective of the applications, um, and it's also a, a scalable project, and uh, bike parking can be funded via Prop K. Generally, where do these uh, bike racks go? They're all across the city. Um, if, uh, I don't know if SFMTA wants to comment, but I know we have, they're very broad. Um, and uh, we've uh, funded short-term bike parking through TFCA a couple times in the past. So a lot of the, the hoop-style racks that you see around town will be funded through this project. So mostly it's like merchants who might, or is there? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, small businesses, things like that. Um, I can take any other questions. Okay, colleagues, any questions, comments? Okay, we'll move on to public comment. Anybody wish to comment on item number seven? Yeah. Uh, supervisors, my name's Nick Josefowitz. I'm a, a bot director that represents a bit of the city. Um, I'm just here to, to, uh, to, to come talk to you in favor of the Gator Pass um, allocation out of, the, uh, out of this funding. I think it's incredibly exciting. 73% of the SF State students voted for this. Um, they're taking action into their own hands by imposing um, uh, a small fee on themselves to, to help uh, make their transportation options, incentivize greener and more sustainable transportation options, make transit more affordable um, for, uh, for students. And uh, it's something that we support overwhelmingly at BART. We think it's a pilot <coughs> program that could get rolled out at other universities across the region. Um, and in addition, it's also particularly relevant at the state level because there's a bill, AB 222, which overwhelmingly passed the Senate, uh, overwhelmingly passed the Assembly, sorry, which is now up for consideration in the Senate, which would take some of the greenhouse gas reduction fund and apply it to subsidize student transit passes. And, uh, and this, I think, would be also a tremendous, um, th this program would also help move that discussion forward at the state level. Um, and, uh, and provide additional um, uh, momentum to that bill, which, uh, which we're supporting strongly at Bard and which I personally also hope will pass. So 
Um, it's, uh, thank you very much um, also to, to CTA staff for, for working with BART. We're not always the easiest people to work with. Um, and, uh, and, and for the supervisors for considering this, this funding request. Just a question. Yes. How, how do we get to settle on the 25% discount for, was there an effort to have it much higher? Um, we wanted to try and maximize, uh, try and get the discount as high as possible, and that's, it's, it's going to be, um, it's going to vary depend on how much, how, sort of the take up of the discount. We wanted to, um, we, we, I think Muni and BART um, came to a sort of a similar place where um, we were trying to sort of take the money that we were going to be receiving and then um, apply it to, to generate the highest discount to the riders that were, that were using it. Um, and I would hope if certainly if AB 222 passes, we could make that discount uh, larger. And, uh, and I personally hope that BART um, can look at its fare system more, more sort of broadly to see um, if, there's, if there's a way of, of doing a, um, a fare system which is, um, which is more needs-based rather, uh, rather than just sort of everybody paying the same fee. And then um, are other state and UC schools looking at something similar? Yes. So as soon as we started moving forward with this at SF State, we started getting calls from um, universities across the BART district. I think we have about 57. Um, Berkeley is really excited about this. They have a discount program with AC Transit, but they haven't had a discount program with BART. Um, San Jose State um, is also really excited about this because BART is going to be going down to San Jose, and I think they're um, they're keen on it. There's a bunch of um, community colleges in the sort of Fremont area which have reached out to us who are keen to try and sort of put in place a similar style program. Um, and we've said that, you know, we want to work with everybody, but we really need to get this first project off the ground to show that we can do it. And then once we've done this, we'll hopefully make it a kind of a program which, which lots of other people can, can opt into. Is there any uh, reduction to vehicle miles travel that's being uh, measured in this? Um, the, it's my understanding that SF State has to do, um, because of its size under San Francisco mandates, it has to do regular um, transit, uh, transportation studies, which, me which measure um, the, uh, their VMT production, um, as well as a bunch of other sort of related activities. They've done one recently, and um, coming out of that study, the one of the main recommendations to reduce VMT would be to sort of subsidize transit. Um, and so um, that was sort that was I think at the not to speak for SF State that was I think what helped get the ball rolling at the staff level but it was as much kind of driven by the students themselves who I think didn't need a study to tell them that it was very expensive to take transportation um, and there's some SF State students that come in all the way from Fremont um, uh, from Pittsburgh where it's just you know very unaffordable to, to ride BART over that long of a distance um, and uh, and, I, and I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that SF State's follow-up study will be measuring similar types of metrics and will be able to give us um, an indication of whether this program is working on the VMT metric. I think from BART's perspective, we're certainly going to be tracking BART usage, um, and, uh, and we'll hopefully see a real uptick in that as well. Great, thank you. Thank you very much, Fraser. Thank you very much. Anybody else wish to comment on item number seven? Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Colleagues, unless any questions or comments, can we take that same house, same call? Without objection, so moved. All right, Mr. Cook, can you call the next item? 
Item 8, recommend authorizing the Executive Director to execute with conditions a seven-party supplement to the 2012 Memorandum of, of Understanding that adopted an early investment strategy pertaining to the Peninsula Corridor Electrification Project. This is an action item. Good morning, Commissioners. My name is Luis Urinaga, uh, Project Oversight Consultant to the Authority. Uh, I am joined here today with, uh, from uh, Casey Frumson from uh, Caltrain. Um, the Cotton Electrification Project is a signature project in the Prop K plan. It has three main components. One is the communication-based overlay signal system, which is a positive train control for safety and operation effectiveness. Uh, the electrification of the line from San Francisco to San Jose and the procurement of electrified multiple unit vehicles. Not, not coming up. Uh, in uh, 2012, um, nine stakeholder agencies executed a memorandum of understanding which established the funding framework for the project. At that time, the project budget was 1.5, which was based on an estimate from 2008. San Francisco's share was uh, $60 million. In uh, 2014, uh, Caltrain uh, had a uh, cost workshop and uh, determined that uh, the, the cost uh, was uh, larger than originally anticipated, even though everybody basically knew in 2012 and 2012 that uh, the price was going to be increasing. Uh, and then later on this year, they received bids for both electrification and uh, the vehicle contracts. So these two, these two things resulted in an increase of uh, $755 million. Now, it's worth mentioning that that amount includes $120 million in escalation and $360 million in contingency alone. Which brings us to uh, the item in front of you today, which is a supplemental MOU uh, to provide the additional funding needed to uh, execute the project. Um, in the, in, the, in the slide you hear, you see the, the, the items in red show whether the major changes occurred. Um, the, the Peninsula Corridor uh, John Powers Board members, that contribution increased from 180 million to 240, uh, increasing the contribution uh, of San Francisco by, 30, by $20 million. Um, in, a, in addition, there was a, an increase of $113 million in the contribution from high-speed rail and also from MTC uh, bridge tolls. <clears throat> the MOU has um, some conditions attached to it, uh, and basically is if the commitments end up being lower than the MOU, then the funding is going to be uh, reduced uh, proportionately to each one of the partners. And if, of course, if the costs are high, then uh, the partners will reconvene and uh, discuss about how to come up with additional funds. And uh, another condition was that as a precondition to this uh, memorandum, all parties agreed on an oversight protocol, which has already been implemented. It's, it's underway as we speak. As far as the DBE, SBE program, uh, Caltrain has an agency-wide goal for uh, 
this year they intend to increase that. They already submitted it to, uh, to FDA to increase the goal to a 14%. And on December 14, they adopted a project-specific goal of 5.2%. There's some challenges, like every project has, a, has challenges. Uh, in th this case, one of the challenges is executing the series of agreements to secure all the funding. Uh, for example, uh, the state uh, funding, high-speed rail authority, they're planning on getting that executed in, in July, June-July timeframe. Cap and trade award in August. And the one that usually comes at the end, the FTA uh, core capacity grant, uh, is anticipated for December 2016. Now, that date, uh, everybody agrees and understands that is aggressive. Uh, FTA understands that it's aggressive, but it's doable. Uh, and Caltrain is working uh, as hard as they can to make sure that they can meet that date. Uh, the other item is that the CBOS itself is behind schedule. However, uh, the, the CBOS is not in the critical path of the project, so it's not going to affect uh, revenue service. Just and a question on um, the state um, funding and cap and trade. Um, and the core capacity, what, what amounts are those we, ex we could expect? The, the cap and trade, uh, back in the table here. Uh, cap and trade is 113. That's uh, for one time? For one time, yes. And then um, the. And the core capacity is 647. 647 million? Yes. And then what about state? What's the CHSRA? What's that? The has I'm sorry. High speed rail. The high, that's the high oh, speed rail. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and that would be how much? That's the 113. That's the 113. Yes. Okay. And then cap and trade is well, it's, part it's, of that? It's, 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 it's mixed. Okay. Yes. Yes, together. Got it. Thank you. I'm sorry. And if those don't no. come in at those amounts, do we, are we expected to pay more on our end? Uh, yes. Well, oh, that wasn't uh, that was too. Quick. That was not the right answer, was it? No, it's well, there's going to be discussions. A one. There will be discussions to figure out what, you know, how to fill the gap. We, Should there be a gap? Okay, so, there'll be a request of us to help fill the gap. There, there will be a request, I'm sure. Yes, it's not on us necessarily to decide to do that. Correct. That there are California high-speed rail um, bond funds from Prop 1A approved several years ago, in the total of about 706 yes. million. Great, Casey Fromson with Caltrain. Thanks, Luis. I'm just going to give you a brief update of where we are today as a system and where we're going in the future with electrification. Um, so the next slide shows the ridership for Caltrain, and that's really been um, dramatic. Over the last six years, we've almost doubled our ridership. The slide after that, um, I think it's maybe catching up, um, is another way to describe the ridership growth that we've seen. And so um, our top trains in the northbound direction are experiencing over 100% of seated capacity, which means people are standing, which is pretty unusual for a commuter railroad across the country. And it's also unique for Caltrain that um, it's a bi-directional commute. So 60% are doing the traditional commute northbound to the city for the jobs, but we're now seeing 40% going southbound. So they're also standing in those directions. And with this slide here, you see that um, these ridership numbers were taken in a low ridership month, so they're even higher um, during the high ridership months. 
On this slide, this is a, a picture, you know, is worth a thousand words. So this is just an average day on a, a Caltrain uh, train um, during the days where we have special events like right, Giants games. It's much, much more crowded. On the next slide, so we hear a lot from our riders, but we also hear from businesses along the corridor. In 2014, uh, the group of companies up here, along with others, created the Caltrain Commuter Coalition, and they're really focused on uh, making sure there's alternatives for the riders to not be on the congested 101 and 280 freeways. And if there's a, an alternative for Caltrain and the ability to increase capacity, they're extremely supportive of that. So they've been strong allies with us on this project. So that's a little bit of where we are today and speaking to the need of why we need to electrify and modernize the project. I'm going to speak mostly to the electrification project because that's the one that we're moving towards next. The CBOS PTC one's um, construction is complete and we're already in the testing phase. For the next slide, this is just a reminder of the area that we are electrifying. It's between San Francisco and San Jose. That's the area that Caltrain owns. South of that is owned by Union Pacific. For the project description, it's going to be overhead wires, and then um, those will be compatible with high-speed rail in the future. The electric trains we're going to get, it's a 75% um, replacement of the diesel fleet. So we will have some diesel fleet left with this project, but I'll speak to in the future our goal is to have it fully electrified. With the service, it's up to 79 miles per hour, which is what it is today. We'll increase the number of trains we have per hour from five to six. And one of the best things we do, though, is with these electric trains, they're able to stop and start much faster than diesel ones. So, for instance, we can change our entire uh, schedule instead of our baby bullets only making six stops in 60 minutes with electric trains it could make 13 stops so we'll really have a chance to kind of redo how we move people up and down the corridor in addition to just having more trains on the corridor as I mentioned it'll be a mixed fleet service for interim period and we'll continue to serve tenants such as ace capital corridor and Amtrak that currently ride on the corridor today this slide highlights some of the massive benefits that we see with this project. Obvious ones from greenhouse gas reductions going from diesel to electric, but ones you may not realize, such as uh, reduction in engine noise from a diesel train to electric train. Um, we expect to see an um, increase in ridership and also some economic activity from, from this project. On the next slide is the two major contracts. Um, as Luis kind of detailed for the cost of them, it's really been a two-year process to get to where we are today, where we're ne negotiating with two different firms, one for the electrification infrastructure, so that will be the team that will put in the poles and wires next to the track, and then one for building new electric vehicles for our, our corridor. Over the last two years, we've spent a lot of time on discussion about the new electric vehicles, and there's been many different considerations we've had to, to talk through with uh, key stakeholders, members of the public, and the Caltrain board. Uh, some of them are listed on this slide here, and, and they need to balance different elements on the Caltrain, such as bathrooms and bikes, but then also additional doors, which was brought up as something uh, Caltrain wanted to not preclude future high-speed rail planning as part of the blended system. On the next slide, this shows that in our design now, we're going to have two sets of doors on the vehicles. They're not going to be operational when we first have the vehicles, but in the future, um, we could open them if we need to at a high-speed rail station. Um, we'd have some capacity changes with that, but um, we wanted to make sure as much as we can to build in elements so we don't need to redo anything uh, later and just give us some more flexibility. 
Um, with that, it's really a recap of where we are. We finished the environmental process, which was a big milestone for the project. We have the bids in now, and we want to award these contracts next month, so in July for the Caltrain board meeting. That's why um, your vote today is critical for making sure we have the local funds in place to be able to move forward with this project quickly. And we really appreciate uh, the support we've um, gotten from staff from all the agencies that we work closely with. And with this schedule, we'll be issuing a limited notice to proceed, making sure we have those funds in place, uh, several years to design, build, and test it, and then have the tr system in service by 2020. That's when we'll first get our vehicles there, and then the last shipment by 2021. And my last slide here is just that we know the explosive growth to the Bay Area um, really means that we need to look farther ahead. It's not just about this project, but what else can we do on the corridor to make sure that we have as much capacity as we can? Um, so for the bottom slides here, there's going to be a lot of activity with the downtown extension, with high-speed rail coming. But specific to Caltrain, we do want to have a fully converted fleet. We want to have longer trains in the future so we can get the capacity that way. Since we're sharing the corridor with high-speed rail, that's really the one way we can get get the capacity, and then also level boarding, which will make the system function more smoothly and uh, potentially also help increase capacity as trains are able to go up and down the corridor. And with that, I'm happy to take any questions. Colleagues, any questions? Just looking at uh, slide 19, and you have the dual door option, mm -hmm. that's just um, a possibility, or that is actually what's going to happen? That is what's going to happen. And how is it that we have... Uh, we, so there's different types of boarding, and that we don't have a uniform boarding, won't have uniform boarding across uh, yeah. the system, so, or is this just about dealing with high-speed rail stations? It's about in the future what could happen with high-speed rail. So when uh, this system is operational in 2020, the bottom doors will be the only functional doors. So it'll look and feel kind of like the original vehicle up top there. But in the future, when we have a more defined high-speed rail blended system and know more about what their stations could look like, then we'll be able to make a determination of when's the most appropriate time to open these doors. And at that case, we will have to uh, talk through what it would mean to have people boarding at different heights and needing to transfer in between. Uh, we're going to have interior lifts now put into these vehicles, so when that happens, people will be able to make that transition. Um, but this is a this was a complicated discussion that we had, and we thought that this was the best way to leave us some options in the future. But when we first get them, it'll just be the bottom door. Was there open. a push to have all <coughs> stations be uniform so that we wouldn't have two different dual door systems? Um, that is something that's being discussed as well. Caltrain has 27 stations, and so it wouldn't just be the high-speed rail ones that would be affected. It would be all of Caltrain stations. And so at this point in time, we weren't ready to make that determination. You know, that would be different costs, footprints that go with it. But in the future, we're, we are able to, to look at that. I just don't want to be, I mean, we're at some point, like maybe it's 30 years from now, we're probably going to want to make uniforms stations because we're not making that decision now. I, I guess. Correct. Uh, the, the, the reason for the dual doors is to allow for uh, compatibility with high-speed rail. High-speed rail is planning on having trains that have a floor height of 51 inches versus the Caltrain trains that have 25 inches. So the dual doors allows for the trains to pull up at a high-speed rail station, like the Millbrae station will be shared with high-speed rail. Potentially. Potentially. Yeah. Uh, Trans Bay will be shared with high-speed rail, and of course, it's San Jose. So at those stations, there will be cross-platform compatibility between the two systems. Mm -hmm. What happens in the future, 
we don't know yet. Uh, the platforms will need to be modified in any event to allow either for longer trains or for level boarding. Now, whether the level boarding for Caltrain is going to be at 25 inches or at 51, so the whole system is at the same height, that has yet to be decided because there's a cost, of course, associated with that. Okay. I understand. It's, it's just given that the work right now is around electrification, and you have 27 stations, I understand that you're going to have to make modifications to those stations, but easier to do the modification on the train itself, which will be new train to deal with two different types of boarding situations. So yeah, that's exactly the point of having the two different doors. Then. And then in the future, we'll be able to make the determination on the, the station side, what heights need to be raised. Okay, thank you very much, colleagues. Any further questions? Okay, why don't we open up to public comment. Anybody wish to comment on item eight? Uh, good morning, committee members. Adina Levin with Friends of Caltrain. Uh, Friends of Caltrain is a 501c3 nonprofit. We have about 5,000 participants on the Caltrain corridor from San Francisco through San Jose and beyond, um, supporting uh, stable funding and successful modernization of Caltrain as part of an integrated uh, transit system in the Bay Area. And we're really excited to see the progress on the electrification project. Uh, can't wait to see the electric trains be able to carry more passengers, alleviate that crowding, and um, support the transportation and environmental needs of the Bay Area. So uh, uh, we uh, strongly support this and urge you to approve this funding to help this project move forward. Thank you very much. Thank you. Anybody else wish to speak in public comment for item eight? Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Colleagues, unless any questions, can we take the same house, same call? Okay, so moved. Uh, Mr. Clerk, could you call item number nine? Item nine, development of a potential local transportation revenue measure and expenditure plan. This is an information item. Thank you, Commissioners. Maria Lombardo, Chief Deputy. We'll keep this a short and sweet presentation. Um, it's about eight slides. But if you can go ahead and this is, they're just loading up. Get to the next one, all right. Um, so we gave a, a longer overview at board, so we'll keep this um, relatively concise with some updates as to what has changed. So as you can see on the first slide there, I'm just gonna talk briefly about um, why we're considering new revenues for transportation, what the new measure will fund, some key considerations that we're thinking about as we put that measure together, and a little bit about public engagement. On the next slide. Um, I think as Chris Wadling, our CAC chair, referenced um, in his remarks, you know, it isn't obvious to everybody why we need new revenues, but the short version uh, answer to that question is our needs for transportation funding far exceed available revenues. Sacramento, Washington, D.C. won't, can't bail us out. And so like many other jurisdictions in the Bay Area and California, even nationwide, we're looking to locally controlled measures so that we can, rather than watch our infrastructure just deteriorate, take control of our future and invest in the type of uh, transportation system that we want to see. Um, that said, this isn't a recent revelation. We've known about it for quite a while. When we last updated our countywide transportation plan called the San Francisco Transportation Plan in 2013, um, that looked at all modes, all operators in San Francisco through the year 2040. And at that time, we estimated $19 billion in unfunded need. 
Um, and among its many recommendations for how to use the money we have more effectively, um, how to improve project delivery, there also was a recommendation for um, new revenue advocacy, particularly focused at the local level. Following hot on the heels of the countywide transportation plan, um, the mayor convened the Transportation 2030 Task Force, which looked at a subset of need in a smaller 15-year time frame, and over that time frame um, came up with an estimated $10 billion of need through 2030. And one of the outcomes of that is, I know um, the commissioners are very familiar with, was a recommendation of a suite of revenue measures that would take place over a series of years to fund that $10 billion gap that included um, two general obligation bonds, the first of which the $500 million bond was approved by the voters in 2014, um, a sales tax increase of a half cent and a vehicle license fee. And what we're really doing here um, moving forward this year is trying to continue implementing the recommendations of the countywide plan and the task force. Thank you, Pat. So I mentioned you know, briefly we, we can't look to Sacramento and D.C. to bail us out right now. What these charts show you, and if you can't read all of the numbers, um, the left is all of the revenues, the anticipated revenues, federal, state, regional, local, that were forecast to be available to San Francisco during the 30-year um, San Francisco transportation plan period. The chart on the right is the same thing, but that was for the regional transportation plan, the last one that was adopted in 2017. You notice the big blue is local revenue. That is by far the largest source of revenues both in SF and in the Bay Area. When I started here over two decades ago, the wedges were flipped. The federal and state wedges were the biggest pieces. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the, the federal government has yet to been able to tackle uh, the issue of a new revenue source or fixing the federal gas tax, which is our primary source of funding at the federal level. Um, the state is working on it, and I'm hopeful we'll get there, but they're not there yet. We just went through a cycle with the state transportation improvement program where we deprogrammed, we took money away statewide from projects. It's really not a reliable source at this time. Thank you, Matt. Um, so, as uh, also Chris also mentioned, we right now um, at, at the Board of Supervisors have two options under consideration for the November 2016 um, election. The preferred proposal at this time is a charter amendment that would establish general fund set-asides both for transportation and homelessness. I'm just going to talk about transportation for the rest of this presentation. The charter is attached amendment is included as attachment one in your packet. Um, the other measure that is there as a backup in case for some reason the charter one doesn't go forward is the dedicated <coughs> sales tax that's in the prop case style. That draft ordinance is included as attachment two to the memo. Um, and just if it's not crystal clear, I think we all know we're, the intent is just to get one measure to the ballot, but we're just keeping both pathways open while the discussions continue um, to figure out what should make this very uh, crowded ballot. So I will emphasize that there has been a great deal of coordination on this. Um, the two measures are very similar in the key aspect, which is what, are, what would get funded. So both of them have six programs that I'll talk about in a second that are the same. They are 25-year revenue measures, and roughly, just to keep the math easy, about $100 million a year. There are differences in administration and voter approval. I'm happy to answer questions, but I'm going to focus on what we would fund. Okay. Colleagues, any questions or comments? Uh, okay, why don't we, oh. Supervisor or Commissioner Alvarez, okay, why don't we move on to public comment? Anybody wish to comment on Actually item number nine? I have a couple I, more I, slides. Oh, if yeah. oh, you do? Yeah. I'm sorry, I, I thought I, you were. I, I was but I can take the questions. Um, sure, I'll ask my question now, and that is, um, you know, there's been talk about what the buckets will be in the TA version and the Charter Amendment version, um, and a key group I've worked with 
over the past few years has been uh, Transportation Justice Group, which involves a lot of community organizations, as well as the Bike Coalition, Walk SF, CCDC, community, Chinatown Community Development Corporation. Um, and I don't think that they're happy with the buckets um, that are set up. And I think there's some new revenue that could be available based on uh, an understanding of what the tax would be like. And instead of a sales tax, we're actually have a use tax, which could be additional revenue. To make a lot of sense, I believe that these groups being opposed, uh, which is where they could be right now, uh, could you know spell the death knell of uh, whatever measure goes forward. So I think it would be important to be able to um, consider what kind of changes can be made uh, to uh, accommodate their interests. Um, I also think even shaving some of the uh, buckets that we have already allocated could be something as well that could help move things forward uh, to get greater unity from them toward this measure. Great, thank you. It's actually a great setup for the slide that I'll go through right now. Um, and for that, if you can get there or see the slide back up, that'd be great. So up on this slide, and I'll, start, I'll answer some of your questions, um, Commissioner Avalos, as I do this, are the six buckets or programs of funds that would be eligible? And right now, as I said, they are identical in the charter and the dedicated sales tax. Um, and your, your point is very well taken. I think it's conventional wisdom that to have a revenue measure, particularly one that involves a tax increase to pass, you can't have any real opposition. So it's very important to get all of the parties at the table and get a broad and deep base of support for the measure. Um, I think we can already see some of the, the influence of the Transportation Justice Coalition, as you mentioned. Um, these programs were put together, again, based on the T2030 and the countywide plan recommendations, and they do have a heavy emphasis on um, state of good repair, maintaining our system, system. But there are some additions. Things have changed, uh, even in the past couple of years, and one of those key issues is really bringing the affordability and equity issues to the forefront in transportation and really all sectors um, of our economy. So what's here, which is already um, evidence of the influence of um, your work, Supervisor Avalos, and the commission is the addition of this bucket. First one, transit services and affordability, which is meant to take the sales tax and use it in ways that would benefit particularly the low-income and communities of concern in the city. And it would do that by providing flexible money for operations to support um, the SFMTA, whether expanding service in response to, say, recommendations from Muni's equity framework, or in tough budget years um, when there might otherwise be service cuts, those funds could be used to prevent service cuts. They could also be used to help um, maintain in future years as costs and demand grows the free muni for youth, low-income seniors, and disabled um, persons. So that's that, that first bucket. Let me briefly go through the other um, funding programs there. The second one is muni fleet for fleet expansion or re, re, um, replacement when vehicles get old, but is also basic state of good repair and investment in the muni system, whether it's stations or tracks or overhead wires. Um, the third uh, program is transit optimization and expansion. And this is a combination of transit operators and smaller and bigger projects. So for instance, this could include smaller bus stop type improvement projects or red transit lanes, um, as well as planning, environmental um, work, and maybe early design for our next generation of capacity-expanding projects, whether that those are additional bus rapid transit projects, the um, M-Line subway improvements, or BART or Caltrain grade separations or crossovers. The fourth bucket, regional transit and smart system management, is first and foremost, there's a priority to 
um, set aside up to $300 million for BART expansion cars, meaning not bigger BART cars, but additional BART cars to deal with the incredible growth that's going. Um, this is an asset that's been made of Alameda, San Francisco, and Contra Costa because we are the three BART county members. Um, and I can speak, speak to that a little bit more later, but the idea is if they are not matched by funds from the other counties, we could use those funds for other regional transit needs, whether it's BART stations or Caltrain or whatnot. There's also funding to... Uh, work on smart system management, which I'll give you two flavors. One is transportation demand management. It's probably the most cost-effective thing we can do to help manage demand right now. Um, Michael Schwartz will talk about that actually under the next item as was one flavor of that. But there is also work to be done in terms of getting a continuous carpool or HOV lane all the way from Santa Clara up to uh, or through San Francisco, which would be a great way to benefit um, person throughput on our freeway system, using the infrastructure better and making transit vehicles operate more reliably. I guess they really like freeway lanes. Um, and then the last two categories are Vision Zero, safer and complete streets. I think that's pretty clear what that is. Vision Zero was not an adopted policy when T2030 was established, so this is a, a new program for that. And last but not least is street resurfacing. Um, I would add one feature in the charter to get a little bit to um, one of Supervisor Avalos's questions is in the charter it allows in um, years when there's a bad economy or the MTA may have to make service cuts, it gives the ability to flex about 25% of the second category, the muni, we'll call it rehabilitation category, towards operations. Um, I will note in the dedicated sales tax, one thing we've been, um, we've written into the ordinance in response to the conversations is um, a recognition that there are several fund sources out there, primarily local, regional, but also state, that are um, very likely to be put in place in the near term that would dedicate funds towards street resurfacing. And to the extent that those come to pass and new funds are dedicated to street resurfacing, funds within this measure that would otherwise go there could be redistributed to the other categories because that is the largest program. I think that the last couple of slides, real fast, in terms of administration up here, um, it shows you per the charter which... Uh, agency would administer each of the different buckets up there. I would just note for the transit optimization, regional transit, and vision zero, we would um, propose to administer those much like Prop K in which there is a um, open process with the board uh, agency sponsors and the public to figure out sort of five-year plans of what we should fund in the next five years based on what's, what's ready, what performs well, what has full funding. Okay, next one. And then... Uh, as I mentioned there, in putting this together, it isn't just about we're going to help ourselves and we're going to forget Washington and Sacramento. There are a lot of pluses to controlling your own destiny, um, not the least of which is local funds are um, essential to prepare your projects so they're grant-ready and competitive for those state and federal um, competitive pots that do exist. Um, we have a track record of leveraging each dollar four to six times under Prop K, and I would fully expect the same under... Um, this new revenue measure. And then I know there were some comments made at our Citizens Advisory Committee about, hey, we've got Prop K, why do we need something else? I just know Prop K is the successor of our first transportation sales tax, which was put into place in 1990. And that was sort of in the early wave of <coughs> self-help counties across the state. A lot of them now have gone to a, a full cent just because costs have not caught, caught up with revenues. And Contra Costa is actively looking at this at the same election as we are Alameda did last um, election cycle. Um, and the last thing I will say on uh, public engagement here, that's okay, I'll come back to that one later, <laughs> is there is a, a page on our website dedicated to this that we are continually updating with the latest information. You can access both the charter and the dedicated sales tax information. Um, very importantly, we will have um, an opportunity to sign up for a telephone town hall that directors 
um, Chang and Director Riskin from the SFMTA will be able to present on the proposed measure and answer questions, and it will have multilingual capabilities. Um, and last but not least, um, just one sort of technical point is in order to keep the pathway open for a dedicated sales tax, we need to have a public hearing which we will, um, on that measure before the MTC can approve our expenditure plan. So we will have that public hearing at the full board next week. I'd be happy to answer questions. Great, thank you. Um, just on the, the buckets and the gap that still has to be crossed with, I believe, transit justice uh, advocates and organizers. Um, I think there's areas that there could be movement, potentially um, regional transit could be decreased, especially if we're looking at other counties not contributing the same as uh, San Francisco would, uh, which could be the case. I think we should all kind of be going in uh, equally. Uh, if there is less that they're contributing, I think we should just come down and uh, I think the regional transportation agencies will need to make up that difference and then we could reallocate to other uh, buckets. I, I, I would think that would be important to consider. Uh, the ones that I think are underfunded are the transit service and affordability as well as um, complete streets. Not, it says here compete streets. Oops. But uh, I know that is probably wrong. <laughs> it was We're not the intent at all. <laughs> doing a more cooperative approach, I, I <laughs> Thanks. We actually want the polar opposite. Thank, thank you very much. And, and I, w I will say, um, uh, C Commissioner Avalos, that in terms of the, the BART matching funds, I said it's written right now that if the other counties don't provide it, it could be used for other things, but it could be amended to direct it to other buckets instead of within the bucket. Okay, colleagues, if no other questions, no more slides. Okay, we'll move on to public comment. Anybody wish to comment on item nine? Good morning, commissioners. My name is Jackie Sachs. I'm on the Citizens Advisory Committee for the Authority. Um, we had a special meeting last week regarding this item, regarding we were discussing this item. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I was one of I was one of 55 individuals who wrote Prop B back in 1989. I also reauthorized Prop K years later that was passed by the voters. I've been very involved in transportation in this city for the last 30 years, since 1986. And another thing, uh, Commissioner Weiner is, has the other nine to five that I'm working on now in, in, in Commissioner Peston's district, Fisherman's Wharf, this sort of thing, so we can get transit back to the transit working, get the, get the transit system, the public transit system back to where it was before December 5th, 2009, when it was cut off, when it was cut down. And one of the things that I met, mentioned at the meeting uh, last week was that instead of the MTA spending money on green paint and red paint for the streets, they should think about using that money and re restoring services Restoring the transit service, bus transit services, where they were before, before, because as it is now, there was there was article there was articles in the paper where the um, where where the um, people that worked at Fisherman's Wharf had to take tech buses 
to get to where to get home because there was no service for them. People, fishermen's wharf were losing money because the, the workers couldn't get to and from work. They don't take care. They just the MTA is only interested in those individuals that work from nine to up to five o'clock, five p.m. They don't care about the senior. They don't care about the senior disabled community, the people that work at hotels, the people that work at restaurants, the security guards, the cleaners that clean the buildings that they work in. Um, I'm 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 against this because you, they they prop you, they passed the bond issue. They passed two bond issues in the last election, and um, as it is, uh, you're going. Having worked on Prop e, even the, Prop K, even thank you. Was, I'm sorry, your time though, is up. No, thank you. Even though, let me say one thing: you're going to have to go before the voters again in a few years, even though it's a 35-year project. Prop K is. Thank you're you. Still gonna, you're still going to have to go before the voters, and the voters don't want to be taxed anymore. Thank you. They've been taxed enough. Thank you very thank much. You. Next speaker, please. Oh, actually, before um, we move forward, since both the chair and the vice chair are absent, and seeing that we have a quorum. I will call this meeting as a member of this board committee to order. Um, and, oh shoot, we have to nominate a chair? Yes, I nominate you as the chair. <laughs> I second that. Oh, thank you. Without objection, I will be chair for the meeting unless someone who is chair or vice chair returns. All right, with that, we will move forward with public comment. Oh, here's the chair. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, no. are we going back to the regular chair? Or? You, you can continue, ma'am. Thank you. Thank um, you for your patience. Eileen Boken, District 4 resident, uh, also a former member of the Transportation Authority, CAC. Um, I was at the Small Business Commission when the mayor's deputy chief of staff gave a presentation on this. And the question was from one of the, uh, from Commissioner Yee Riley, why so long? Why 25 years? And basically he said that's what the number we came up in negotiation. And the request from the commissioner was maybe look at a little lower window of opportunity. Uh, the first of all, um, set asides create havoc on the budget. We want more set asides. And the second one is the sales tax. Sales tax, the obvious, is re it's regressive. It hits low-income people the worst. And so a half cent, and actually I do agree with the CAC member. You've got a half cent, you want a half cent more, you've got general obligation bonds, you're now looking at a revenue bond. It's um, kind of comes across as a little overly aggressive. And the fact that the MTA is approved, has incorporated this, half-cent sales tax into their budget, even though it hasn't been approved by the voters, is a little questionable. So those are my concerns. Thank you. Good morning again, Adina Levin, Friends of Caltrain. And um, I wanted to uh, call your attention to an opportunity to potentially address in this sales measure, sales tax measure, um, the next phase of Caltrain modernization, um, that um, building on what Ms. Fromson said would be able to deliver more capacity and more speed than basic electrification itself. Um, Ms. Fromson mentioned that um, once you have basic electrification with the trains that accelerate 
uh, more quickly, you can uh, lengthen the flat platform and add longer trains to go to eight car trains, which you know gets you from from six to um, eight. As well as when the platforms are being adjusted, um, level boarding, which um, right now with the stairs, um, it takes a couple of minutes to get some to help someone with a wheelchair on and off, which is important. But it means that it makes the system. Uh, go slower and you can't make uh, transfers. So um, Santa Clara County has the VTA board has just incorporated that project, $300 million for that project into their ballot measure that's going to go on in November. And this is something that is going to take all three counties in order to be able to deliver this project. Um, uh, San Mateo County has already had a law passed to be to increase the sales tax window and is contemplating when to uh, go and address and uh, do that. So I would encourage you to consider uh, this project to be able to keep up with the ridership growth expected in this time frame. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Chris Parks. I live on State Street over near Castro and Market. Um, I'm very concerned about this uh, expenditure plan. It feels to me like it's being rushed. I know I attended the CAC meeting where the CAC member uh, talked about this, and also it talked about this being uh, a placeholder on the agenda when it hasn't hadn't yet been defined. Um, this is a lot of money. It needs a thoughtful consideration. It feels like it's being rushed. And as um, I, I work on Van S, I'm familiar with the Van S BRT, and I wanted to give you some information on how that began. Uh, that began as like, I don't know if there's an overhead, mm -hmm. but uh, um, that began as something that was somewhere on the order of 60 to 65 million with the feasibility survey. It, uh, it then went to in the EIR to 193 to 136 million. Then in July 15, 159 million. And then more recently it was put, proposed as 260 million. And then in a latest spreadsheet um, with the GMP, uh, a project for Walsh is now estimated at over $300 million. And so these things get a life of their own. They cost a lot of money. And then recently in the May 9th uh, Small Business Commission uh, meeting, there was a presentation by a lot of people from Lombard, Geary, Van Ness, Terravel, Mission, worried about how these, and it seems like there's a lot to be said with a lot that's not heard. And so um, uh, um, I'm very concerned about this project, and as it starts now, it kind of begins that life of its own. And also, I don't know if there's, um, okay, the Van S BRT project. Um, this ha has been appealed by, by a group about concerned about the trees. If you look at this, you see all the trees that are going to be lost from the city with this project. And you can also see three lanes of traffic on each side of those trees. Now, where are those cars going to go when this gets reduced down to two lanes? There's not enough input on this process. They say they engage us, but we don't get heard. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public who wish to comment on item nine? Okay, seeing none, then are you coming up for item nine or no? Okay, seeing none, then public comment is closed. And that was an information item, so we'll call item 10. Item 10, Transportation Demand Management Ordinance. This is an information item. Hi. Good morning, Commissioners. Chair Tang, Michael Schwartz, Principal Planner with the Authority. Uh, I am joined today by Carly Payne from the SFMTA. She's the Land Use Development and Transportation Integration Manager, and Corey Teague from the Planning Department as the Assistant Zoning Administrator. 
we brought this, the Transportation Sustainability Program, in front of you, I think, a little bit over a year ago, uh, and we're at a very exciting milestone. We're very excited to be back here. And uh, for just as a quick reminder, the program is a, a three-part program that's a comprehensive approach to managing the transportation demand uh, caused by new development. And so we're taking a, a comprehensive approach. And if you can um, go to the next slide. It's, oh, it's a little slow catching up. So uh, I think most of you are familiar with the three parts. When we came to you last time, we were about to uh, bring forward the transportation sustainability fee, which is the new impact fee um, on residential development, as well as an increase in the fee on non-residential development. Um, and that got uh, passed in November of 2015. Um, in March of 2016, the second piece came to pass, which is uh, consistent with the state guidance on uh, from Senate Bill 743, switching over from a level of service impact, which is really looking at um, intersection and car delay as a way to measure environmental impacts, switching over to vehicle miles traveled as a way to um, better measure the environmental impact of new development. Um, and uh, the third piece is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, this was initiated uh, at the Planning Department on April 28th. And transportation demand management, it's come up a couple times today, again, is a way to manage the network that we have today. We know that we wouldn't be able to widen our streets or build uh, within the city, even if we did want to, which goes against a number of different city policies. So this is really, transportation demand management is a way to really focus on best utilizing the system that we have today. And while there is a, a wide-ranging set of things that fall under this, this ordinance is really focused on what can developers do on-site with their new developments. Um, and so to develop this, we looked at a number of best practices from all over the country, looked at literature, did a literature review, and, as well as our own original research. Um, and I'm going to call up Carly Payne to walk you through uh, what the ordinance will entail. Good morning, Commissioners. Carly Payne from SFMTA. Um, we're delighted to be part of this interagency partnership. So the Transportation Demand Management Ordinance um, is informed, as Michael mentioned, by best practices from against the, uh, across the country. It has three components, which I'll walk you um, through the first several. First is establishing a target for each new development project to meet. And the target represents a reduction in driving or vehicle miles traveled from that development project. And if you could, thank you. Um, and the way that the target is established is based on the number of parking spaces proposed for that project. More and more literature and our own um, research here in San Francisco demonstrates there's a very strong relationship between on-site parking and driving. And that relationship is if you provide more on-site parking, you will see more driving from users of that site, whether they're residents, workers, or visitors. And so the, the fundamental basics of this ordinance is the more parking you provide, the more transportation demand management measures the project also needs to provide to offset or, or counterbalance that great incentive to drive um, that provided parking creates. The second component is creating um, is that a project sponsor will select which ordinance which measures from a menu of options that the city has established um, to meet its target. We have identified 26 different measures across eight categories. 
all of these are included in the menu because of their ability to reduce vehicle miles traveled and drink, uh, single occupancy driving. So these are based on literature review and best practices. Um, these are measures that are under the control of the developer. As Michael mentioned, there's a broader world of transportation demand management out there and a lot of things that our agencies are doing. But this is really focused on what a developer or project sponsor can do and then subsequent property owners to affect the driving, the travel behavior of their um, residents and workers and visitors. So each measure has been assigned a point based on the relative efficacy um, of the measures. So for instance, at the uh, lower end of the spectrum are things like real-time transportation displays that might tell you as you're leaving the building and making your decision uh, when a next uh, muni or bard is coming and how far the, the walk is. And also at the same time, is there a bike share bike in the bike share pod a block away from you so you can make an informed decision? Um, and family-oriented transportation demand management measures that really support families in living more car light or car free or making more choices, more trips without a car. At the higher end are measures that are even more robust and impactful, like uh, reducing the parking supply, managing parking, subsidizing transit use, and things like that. Um, Having this menu approach enables a project sponsor to meet the target, which is what we as the city care for, but in a way that is specific to that project, um, the market and demographics. Um, the measures become part of the project submittal and approval. So Corey Teague, the ad assistant administ uh, zoning administrator from planning, is going to walk you through an example of a project that we've developed to illustrate how this works. Good morning, Commissioners. Corey Teague with the Planning Department. Thanks for having us. I will echo that the entire TSP process has been a great partnership so far between our, our three agencies. Um, as Carly said, um, I'm going to talk a little bit just how will this program work at the project level. Um, I think one of the most important things to understand is that we've designed the program to be very straightforward and easy to use. And towards that end, the first interaction that a um, with the program that a developer would have would be an online TDM tool to help them determine the project's required target and the TDM measures that would be available to that, to that project. A preliminary version of this tool is already online so that developers and the public can begin to test it out and understand how it will work. The idea is that a project sponsor will be able to use this tool and to think critically about this issue well before they ever submit any of their development applications. So we're going to run through an example project, and in this scenario, it's um, happening in the Dogpatch neighborhood, which is you know, very active with development now. In this scenario, you have a residential project with 44 dwelling units, and they're choosing to provide 12 off-street parking spaces. Um, that creates a target of 14 points, um, and they, are, they have two code requirements that would automatically be considered TDM measures, the first being uh, the code required bicycle parking. We get them one point and then unbundling their off-street uh, vehicular parking spaces, that would give them two points. So right off the bat, just meeting the code, you're going to get three out of the required 14 points. But that gets to the next question, which is how many points can a project get for parking supply? So it's important to note that the TDM measure for parking supply was designed to evaluate um, a project within the context of its surrounding neighborhood. 
So to get any points for this measure, a project must be parked at or below its neighborhood parking rate. So if you're um, at your neighborhood rate, you get one point. And then for every 10% below the neighborhood rate, you get an additional point for a maximum of, of 11 available points. In this scenario, the uh, neighborhood where the project is taking place, the neighborhood parking rate is 0.6 spaces per unit. So with that information and knowing that they're going to park uh, 12 cars for the project, uh, again, they have their three points from code requirements. And because they're choosing to park at a 0.3 rate and the neighborhood rate is 0.6, they would earn an additional six points for parking supply. That would get them to nine points out of the required 14 points. So at that point, they need to pick some more TDM measures to help them get uh, reach their target. And we just selected a few that may be uh, common for projects. Uh, that would be multimodal wayfinding signage for one point, doing uh, non-required car share parking for two points, and certain family TDM amenities for the final two points. And that helps this project achieve the 14 points it would need, meet, <clears throat> excuse me, need, and that would constitute its TDM plan. But if we were to change this project, it would change the requirements for that project as well. So if we took the same project, but instead of parking 12 spaces, they had 13 parking spaces, that would change the target from 14 points to 16 points. So they would still get a certain amount of points for bicycle parking and unbundling their car parking, but they would need to do maybe some additional bicycle parking. Uh, they would not get any points for parking supply because they're parking at a 0.75 rate, which is higher than the neighborhood rate in this scenario of 0.6. So again, as Carly mentioned before, if you're going to park at that rate, then you need to do more uh, other TDM measures to help offset that. So in this case, they could do the multimodal wayfinding signage, even more car share parking, even more um, family TDMs, and also providing their on-site affordable housing, and which would get them the final point they need to reach um, the 16 points. And you can see that changing the parking that would be provided for this project, you know, pretty fairly change the, the TDM plan for each version of the same project. So how will the process work as the project moves th through the, the development process? <clears throat> Again, as we mentioned, the sponsor would go online to use the tool to select the measures that work for their project and submit that with their development application. Uh, we would have city staff who would review that in, at the same time we're reviewing the project overall in terms of co-compliance and the TDM plan would be submitted as a, uh, as a recommendation for condition of approval. Um, for projects that have to go to the Planning Commission, the TDM plan would be a condition of approval and before the final building permits could be issued, the project would have to record a notice of special restrictions on the property, we call them NSRs, that would document what the TDM plan is requ required to be. We will also be providing this information online. And then that takes us to the next element of this program, <clears throat> which is the, uh, a pretty robust monitoring and reporting component, which is a little unlike what we do for most of our planning code requirements. Um, and, but this component is key to the TDM program to help ensure that we're actually achieving the intended outcomes. So the monitoring and reporting requirements are divided into two specific phases. There's the pre-occupancy phase where you have an inspection of the, of the physical measure, measures 
That will happen before the project receives its first certificate of occupancy. And then we have the ongoing compliance phase, which includes uh, required reporting by the property owner over time, as well as site inspections by city staff at varying time intervals to ensure that the selected TDM measures remain in place. And then any project that was found to be out of compliance with its approved TDM plan that couldn't come into immediate compliance would be subject to the standard planning code enforcement procedures. <clears throat> Another important part of the ongoing compliance phase is that we will collect information and data over time as to how each TDM measure is performing. And this will allow us to make informed amendments to the program over time to help ensure that it's reaching maximum effectiveness. Just a quick, quick question. Who is doing the, uh, the compliance work? Is that the planning department? So the monitoring and reporting right now, we have budgets, um, positions budgeted into the planning department budget. Great, thanks. Thank you. <clears throat> so moving on to what kind of outreach has happened already and what are our next steps. Uh, we've done a lot of outreach over time. We've spoken with multiple community advisory committees, um, the development community, transportation advocates, various boards and commissions, and we held a citywide open house event at the planning department. In terms of the ordinance and the legislative process itself, as we mentioned, it was initiated at the Planning Commission on April 28th. There's a scheduled adoption hearing for July 14th, and then after that, it will move to the Board of Supervisors for further review. And that concludes our presentations, but we are available and happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you very much, and I know you've been working on this for quite some time and received uh, many briefings along the way. I really appreciate your work on this. Um, so seeing no questions or comments, then I'm going to open up this item to public comment. So if anyone's here for item 10, please come on forward. Seeing none, public comment is closed. And that was an information item. If we can go to item 11 now. Item 11, introduction of new items. Colleagues, any introductions? Okay, seeing none, public comment on 11. All right, seeing none, public comment is closed for item 11. Item 12. Item 12, general public comment. Yes, may I? Good morning, commissioners. Andrew Yip, Chinatown missionary officer. One should be in self-observance of two heart to attain true happiness, true stability, true self, and true holy way. One must apply that heavenly true being of mighty self-nature upon pathways to ensure the attainment of true happiness, true stability, true self, and true holy way. With the cultivation and mission pathway of wisdom, deep contemplation, daily achievement, passion of humanity, disciplines of uprightness, and charity giving, one surely can uplift from worldly tragedy, complex, and personal life drama to attain true happiness, true stability, true self, and true holy way. Worldly tragedy complex would be the attachment of wrongful, interpreted, superficial phenomena leading to gathered pain, instability, falsified self, and false belief of the truth as a problem of misconception of all things to the fullest extent. But with the self-observance of true heart, on cultivation and applying that of heavenly true being of mighty self-nature upon pathways, one could uplift from tragic force to achieve perfection of peace of wellness, and recovery of true self, nature, of origin, for uprightness of existence. One can accomplish the ultimate breakthrough to uplift from the worldly tragedy complex of wheels of heaven, earth, man, matters, appearance, abstract, metaphysics, and emptiness, as well as life, pain, 
life, pain, aging, sickness, and death by means of deep contemplation for cultivation with self-observance of true heart and truthful missionary pathway by applying that heavenly true being of mighty self-nature to the final stage of quick success. Thank you. Thank you very much. Any other members of the public who wish to speak? Seeing none, public comments closed. Next item. All right, item 13, adjournment. All right, thank you. We are adjourned.